0: On this week's episode of Third Culture Africans, my guest is Murilake Akinosun, a.k.a. Miss Fast Twitch. She's an incredibly modest, pioneering track and field superstar athlete who is so positive and is working towards being one of the greatest track stars of all time. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did sitting with her even though I was fangirling throughout the episode because I think we all grew up with dreams to run fast or be actresses and our culture seldomly celebrates these goals or dreams and to sit and converse with someone who is living the dream and who's one of the fastest women in the world was such an honor for me and I'm so grateful for the experience to have done that with her. So enjoy. Welcome to another episode of Third Culture Africans. I am your host Zeza Ariyaki Sal. I created the show as a resource for our community of Africans and African diaspora. A safe and honest place to share, inspire, motivate and most importantly, celebrate those in our communities doing purposeful work and shifting the needle on our culture. Your support is invaluable to the show, so please subscribe or follow us on Facebook, Instagram and leave us a review on your favorite streaming platform. You are valid, you are strong and you are just getting started. Hi, Murulaka. Thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode of Third Culture
1: Africans. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: I am probably more excited than you because you're my first athlete on the show. And I think in season one, I really wanted an athlete because I think just the journey and the mind of an athlete is so unique and incredible. So I'm so pleased that you kindly have given us some of your time today. I'll read off your accolades or a short bio as most people will call it, but I believe in giving people their flowers straight on right at the beginning of every episode, just so that we get that out the way and like get the blushing out the way.
1: Okay, let's do it.
0: Okay. Olympic gold medalist, 2016 in Rio. Nike sprinter. You got that first sign-on right after university. Illinois state record holder. Four-time NCAA 4x100 champion. Incredible. I'm blushing
1: and it's not even me. (laughs) Look, I'm blushing and I'm sitting over here like, gosh, you would think that eventually you would get like used to or even become like proud when people say your accomplishments but I'm always like oh sheesh like they're gonna say everything
0: oh I forgot one aka Miss Fast Switch yes (laughs) incredible so not only are you you an athlete you are my first Olympic gold medalist athlete on the show Ah, I'm honored to be so okay I'll jump right in so most African kids will go, oh my God, we're so talented. I can run. I can run really fast. Even my two-year-old thinks she can run faster than me. How do you go from that to being in the Olympics, to being a medalist in the Olympic, not just any medalist, but a gold medalist?
1: Well, that's a loaded question. It goes all the way back to my high school days, I would say, or maybe even younger than that. Like Everyone thinks they're fast when they're racing on the street with their friends when you're just playing outside as a kid and you line up and someone says go and everyone runs and like you win the race. And so like you've deemed yourself the fastest kid in the neighborhood because you beat the people on your street. Leaving them in dust. I, you know, I like, I don't even really remember racing on the street as a kid anymore. It's it's amazing what your memory like loses for you. I'm like, I know I did it, but I'm like, I don't remember feeling like I was that much faster than anyone there. I don't know. Anyway. I get to high school and I start competing with my high school team and against other kids. And that's when I realized that I'm like, oh, I'm actually a lot faster than everyone. And then I had a coach, his name is Tom Boatwright. I'm still very close with him today, who saw me running when I was actually playing a soccer game. I wasn't running a track meet. I was playing a soccer game. And he saw how fast I was and he approached my dad and said to my dad, Hey, I think your daughter needs to be running on my track team. I don't want to call it an accident, but it was not something that I initially sought out, but was seen in me just having fun as a kid and was like that girl has something special.
0: Incredible. Did I say world champion 2017 in London? I don't know, did you? Oh god, I can't remember, but that's there and that's in there too. I remember I remember how excited I was for the world championships to come to London because That's my city um, half the time. London is actually my favorite place to compete. Is it? Yes. Oh my God. Okay. So we'll come back to that. We'll start from the early days. So born in Nigeria, moved to the US when you were two. But what I haven't said yet is you have your... Olympic gold medal running for the USA. Ah, yes. As a Nigerian, I will claim you as my Nigerian sister, who is an Olympic gold medalist, because you know, we claim everything. Even if you drink our water, you're you're Nigerian.
1: (laughs) I love that about us. You can be one fourth, one eighth Nigerian, and we're going to claim you. And any accomplishment that you have belongs to all of us.
0: The fact that you even crossed the border is enough. Like, the, he, he once came, he's he's one of us, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he once visited. No, he's definitely Nigerian. I remember when, goodness, growing up, there'll be several arguments about who's Nigerian and who's not, right? Of like popular, um, sort of infamous and accomplished people of color or black people. What does that duality, though, mean, you know? You're born Nigerian, moved to the U.S., still quite rooted in sort of Nigerian culture, but then you're running for the USA.
1: Yeah, so I love, absolutely love the fact that I'm Nigerian. I tell everyone that I can all the time. I correct people. I don't let anyone call me African-American. I'm like, nope, I'm Nigerian, stop. And the culture has been so deep inside of me because I still grew up in a Nigerian household I still went to a primarily Nigerian church I still had a ton of Nigerian families that my family was extremely close to and so that culture became so ingrained in me and so important to me that when I eventually left my house and saw that the rest of the world doesn't really have any culture it became even more important to me you've talked about culture but the bit about not running for Nigeria So, um, (laughs) need I ask? (laughs) So, with um, any Olympic team or world championship team or any high level team where you're going to put on your country's uniform and go and compete at the Olympics, the world championships, the Commonwealth Games, anything of that nature, there is always a trials. And they call it the national meet, and it's a trial meet. And so, we have the U.S. Olympic trials here or the U.S. World Championship trials, the same way that they'll have the Nigerian trials or the, the British trials in order to go to the Olympic Games. I, as a kid, always dreamed of running in the Olympics. And whenever I envisioned myself running there, I envisioned myself running with USA across my chest because I looked up to the likes of Carmelita Jeter and Allison Felix and Sonia Richards-Ross, and those were my track and field idols, and they ran for the U.S., and that's what I wanted to do. So in 2015, I was a junior in college. Yes. I was at my third year. Okay. And I went to the U.S. trials to make the world championship team that would be going to Beijing that year in 2015. And I ran close to a PR, if not a PR in the semifinals of the hundred meter dash, and I didn't make the final. And therefore I wasn't going to make the U.S. team to go to Beijing that summer. And after that, Let's call him the general manager of the Nigerian athletics team. He then got in contact with my coach and said, hey, if she wants to run for Nigeria for the world championships this summer, the team that I just didn't make for the U.S., we'll give her a spot in the 100, the 200, the 4x100, and at bare minimum, we'll give her a spot on the 4x100 relay at Rio next year.
0: Oh my God, we'll give you everything
1: basically. Yes, they weren't even gonna make me come to the trial meet. They were just gonna be like, you can run on the team. Like we want you to run on the team, come run with us. The only problem with that is at that point in time, I was then entering into what is called senior competition. Junior and senior competition is, differentiated by your age. Once you are older than 20 years old, you are now considered a senior. I had run as a junior for the United States in the Pan American Games. And so now as a senior, if I decided to run for Nigeria, I could never run for the US again.
0: Oh, wow. So you can't chop and change.
1: Well, now you can. Several years ago, they made it so that you can switch. And then the IAAF, now World Athletics, did not like the fact that people were switching allegiances to countries to make meets and just finding some random uncle that's not really your uncle to sign a paper for you so that you could have citizenship of this other country so that you could run for that country. Then the IAAF banned all transfers. And once you were running for a country, you could not switch your allegiance to a different country. Now the rule goes as far as If you want to switch allegiances, you have to sit out for major competitions for, I believe, three years.
0: Ooh. So you're being offered what seems like the golden chalice, right? Like you can run every race known to man, be popular, right? In quotes. But what support is the African or the Nigerian team giving you? Because like the structure of US track and field is huge.
1: That was part of what lured me away from it. The number one thing was I felt like I was taking the easy way out. I felt like I was kind of giving up on myself and taking the easy way out by just accepting like, you didn't run fast enough to make this team, but this other team will just let you have it and not even make you compete for it. That was the main thing. The second thing was I also felt like I was giving up on myself too soon. I was only in my third year of school. Like I was, I think I had just turned 21. Yeah, I had just turned 21.
0: So you weren't even at your
1: peak yet, really. Exactly. So I'm like, why am I going to give up on myself now when I still have so much more ahead of me? And then the last thing was I talked to a few people who have competed and do compete on the Nigerian athletic team. And the one good thing that they all said, they all said the same exact thing. That was a good thing. They all said we had fun, but then they also all had some very horrible horror stories of travel and communication and payment that just doesn't exist with the United States team. And so I was like, fun isn't a good enough reason because if you put me in a dark room with three of my good friends, we'll have fun. Yeah, this is true. So that was what made me decide not to run for Nigeria. And it wasn't like a, hey, I'm not gonna do this right now. But it was like a, maybe we'll try again next year. You know. And I remember at the time, the guy, I don't wanna say what, who, what his name is, but the guy who was in charge of the Nigerian team, he was like, this is such a mistake. You'll never make a US team. There's too many people over there. And I was just like, okay, noted, got it. And I didn't run for Nigeria in 2015 that summer.
0: No one really talks, like we'll see the greats, right? But no one really talks about You know, you briefly mentioned college athletics and, you know, coming out of college and running in the seniors or professionally. Now, that transition happens from college athletics or college sports into professional. Everyone knows sort of the NBA, the NFL, you know they pick. Is it the same in track and field where people have to make a decision like, okay, I'm going to drop out and then pursue this? Or can you do it both? Or how does it work, really?
1: It's the same. And then it's also entirely different. You cannot in any level compete professionally and also compete as a collegiate. Because of the amateur rules, if you're getting paid for track and field or basketball or football, you can't be in the NCAA because they're giving you a scholarship, it takes away your eligibility, but you can run professionally and enroll in school and pay for school yourself like that's allowed but most people just don't do it. Because there's no official league, there's no like draft where you get drafted. When you make the decision to stop running as in college, hopefully you've already secured a shoe contract for yourself. Because that's how us athletes, track and field athletes, make the majority of our money, through shoe contracts and through sponsorships with companies.
0: This podcast is sponsored by Malay Natural Science. Malay's products are inspired by the rich landscapes, alluring scents and ancient wisdom of Africa. Their luxurious fragrance and body care range balances 100% natural active ingredients and scientifically proven formulas to heal, protect, and pamper your skin. Malay ships worldwide, and you can buy their products at M-A-L-E-E online.com. They also offer a free sample if you'd like to try. You know, one of the things that I've come to realize is, you know, it's probably maybe different now, but I remember growing up how much reverence the average African parent has, and pride in watching, you know, track and field or football. But if you said to your parents then, oh, you know, I want to be an athlete, it'll be like, okay, read your books first, then you can try it, you know. But then deciding to be an athlete as a career, how did that decision come about for you?
1: It was almost a seamless decision because at a certain Point by the time I had reached my senior year of college, my final year, it was almost like a foregone conclusion that this is what I was going to do. It wasn't always that way. My in high school, it wasn't always that way. In the beginning of college, it wasn't always that way. But by the time I was like almost done, it was clear that like I'm very talented professional track and field is the next step for me right now.
0: But then you have a bachelor's degree. Yes, I do. So you finished university or college and then decided this is it. I'm done. Did Nike come first? And then you thought, mm, <laughs> maybe this is it.
1: <laughs> no, they didn't come first. I had already decided by the time I was even in my third year, I'd already decided that I wanted to pursue professional track and field. It's then about running fast enough marks to where a shoe company, a Nike, an Adidas, a Puma, uh, whoever it's going to be wants to pay you to wear their shoes while you compete around the world. And you can gauge whether or not you're actually going to be able to get a sponsorship like that based off of your performances, how you perform compared to how everyone else performs. Tons of tons of tons of tons of people run like there's probably the most athletes in track and field than there is in any other sport. It would be delusional to think that every single one of them is going to receive any sort of deal. And you kind of look at the NCAA championship meet at the end of the year every year, and you can see in which event which people are probably going to get a shoe contract. You'll be able to see it's not always the people that win because sometimes you see talent or sometimes you see a second or third place that runs an extremely fast time that's consistently fast that can compete. Sometimes it's a personality that really stands out that they're like, they're not the greatest, but gosh, we love their personality. And unfortunately for women, sometimes it's like, oh, they're really beautiful.
0: Yeah. So I, I listen to this podcast, I Am Athlete. I love it. It's quite cool because it, it has like these ex-NFL players. It's very geared towards NFL and, and American football, but they do interview a number of athletes. And, and one of the things they talk about is money because they talk about money and a lot about lifespans or career spans of athletes. And in that being for track and field, it's what an average four to six years at your peak. But you need to earn somehow. So you know, in and amongst the sort of a Nike and Adidas, I remember um, Head and Shoulders growing up. You know, it's sponsorships. I guess you guys were the original influencers before social media. It was athletes and movie stars. Yep, there wasn't anything else really. You guys sold us deodorant,
1: shoes, <laughs> outfits. You know, um, I've actually never thought about that, but you're totally right. Before there was these social media um, influencers on Instagram and whatever other social media, the only people who influenced product growth and product buying were athletes and superstars. Yeah. Yeah.
0: You sold us watches, deodorant, perfume, and now the landscape is so different. And you guys are now competing for the same sponsorships as a girl down the road who is great at making her eyebrows look on fleek. You know, and. Yep. How does that work in terms of how different the business model? Because, you know, it's one thing to be the athlete who loves to compete, but this is now your career. This is your means of an income. You know, I think they say, like, even for, like, the really top basketball players, you know, like 70% or something, 70 to 60% of their income is actually from sponsorship as opposed to actually what they get paid for professional sports. I don't know if it's the same in track and field. How does that work in today's business model as now a professional track and field athlete?
1: So I will start by saying that no, not all professional track and field athletes are created equally. And so for some like the Usain Bolts of the world, he has millions of dollars worth of sponsorships outside of track and field from other companies that want to use his likeness, his name and his image. And I don't even know to say if it's unfortunately or fortunately, but Here in the U.S., we have so many superstar athletes because we have other sports. We have basketball and football and tennis, and we have those leagues that are so big and names that are so big that the hierarchy or the ranking of when a track and field athlete is actually going to get a sponsorship other than just What they get from a shoe company, which is just really still track and field, is much, much lower. And I would say the majority of track and field athletes make the most of their money, if not all of it, from strictly a shoe company and then races.
0: I totally didn't think about, I guess, the competing sports even.
1: Yeah. Goodness me, the the landscape is huge. It's much different. We have the NBA reigns supreme. They're the number one guys. They get paid the most. They're the most visible because we can see their faces. There's the fewest of them on the teams. And those are the guys who, if a company is going to pay someone to promote their product, they're going to an NBA guy. And then you have the NFL, you have the NHL, you have the MLB. Like by the time you get down to, and then you have the WNBA By the time you get to track and field, it's just like, okay, we don't really need you because we have Serena Williams wearing this. Like, we don't really need you because we have someone else, like, wearing this. We have someone else using this.
0: So going into those negotiations, you're going in basically knowing that you need to get a slice of that pie somehow. Yes. So you take that. You take your determination. And nonetheless, you get Nike off the bat, which is an incredible endorsement, especially coming off of someone telling you, oh, you're never going to make it. Yes. And then you're still a female, Black. And as much as, I guess, within American culture or the United States, we've all across the globe witnessed some of, I guess, this centuries or this generation's bigger and more public injustices but at, off the back of that or earlier on we've also seen some of this generation's biggest wins in terms of social justice equality and and that you know Kamala Harris and you know Michelle Obama the Obamas and then there's George Floyd Breonna Taylor how does that sit with you navigating an an industry a sport as a Black woman, and and how much of your culture heritage plays a role into how you navigate that?
1: Gosh, I don't even know which way to start. I think that, first off, it's important to just establish the fact that, as a Black woman, you are valued differently than any other person in the United States. And your value is almost always seen as lesser than, or not as good as, unless you have something positive to contribute. And it's like you walk into a room and everyone just kind of assumes, or you get the feeling that everyone kind of assumes that you're like, Lesser than that, you there's not possible that you could have accomplished anything or have done anything more than anyone else in this room has until you get to talking and they realize who you are, and now all of a sudden your value has gone up. It's almost like my value shouldn't change because I've accomplished a ton of things in a world athletics view, but because it has, and when people find out. Now, all of a sudden, I'm seen as more valuable to the room that I've just walked into. And it's hard to know that if someone who looks just like me and I bring a friend with me, that doesn't happen for them. And they're almost ignored because it's just like, why would I want to have anything to do with that?
0: Even within the sport that is prevalent?
1: It's not prevalent within the sport because the sport is dominated by Black people. I would say that like 90% of sprinters are Black. It's just how it is. I don't know. It's, the, it's a genetic thing that I'm sure that the scientists would explain to us in tons of ways, but it's not prevalent within the sport because 90% of people are Black and we're used to being in that environment.
0: But in terms of ownership and pay, because there's always that gender inequality, right? So it's arguable men run faster than women based on time, but then how you're
1: paid though. Men get paid more than women too.
0: Yeah, but that's a problem, isn't it?
1: Absolutely.
0: Like women also pull people to the stands, you know, female athletes have personality.
1: But the world doesn't care about female athletes' personalities. The world wants the male athletes to be funny and outgoing, and they want the female athletes to be beautiful. They don't care if you're funny and outgoing and have a good personality. They only care if you're beautiful.
0: Incredible. But how does social media change that though? Like now we're in a world of social media, right? Do you have a chance to put your personality out there for anyone who was interested? Does that change that though? I don't
1: think so. Because I know some beautiful athletes, track and field athletes, who are not that accomplished or not that good and have extremely large followings and a large interest in them because they are beautiful. And I know some who are more talented and more accomplished than the beautiful one who don't get as much attention.
0: But beautiful being what in in a commercial sense,
1: like beautiful being in a commercial sense. So you're the light skinned girl with the curly hair and the eyes that almost look like green, but they're really light brown. And like, you look like that and you'll get paid. You have to be good enough and look like that and you'll get paid.
0: So this is now colorism, right? Like,
1: yes and no, it's colorism because, yes, they've deemed you as like the correct look. But it's also if there happens to be a white sprinter who pops up and is running well, because that's very rare and there's very few especially in the United States, white sprinters who come up and are actually good and able to compete.
0: If that happens, they get paid better than everybody, basically? I wouldn't say that
1: they get paid better than everyone, but their whiteness will enable them to get paid maybe more than they should. I don't think that they would get paid more than someone who is just straight up faster, better than them, but they would get paid more than they would if they looked like everyone else, if they were just a black sprinter, because they, they're they they not, and that's not normal.
0: And so you take all of these things and this is what, I guess, the career is, right? Whether you choose to do it in a boardroom, um, in a nine to five job, or you choose to do it in entrepreneurship as a black woman, as an entrepreneur, because there are aspects of, of what you do beyond being an athlete who has really, really fast legs, you have to make these negotiations. You have to go into brand deals and know exactly what your ask is from the jump and know what your worth is. Have you walked away from any deals that otherwise seemed glitzy, but when it came down to it principally, you just felt like this wouldn't be the right move for me?
1: No, I actually haven't had that happen thus far in my career, where I've walked away from anything. I did have a company who decided that they didn't want to work with me. And the reasoning that they gave behind it is because that they wanted to stay politically and religiously neutral.
0: What does that mean?
1: They didn't like the fact that scrolling through my social media, I was not politically nor religiously neutral.
0: I had a question about how much of your faith plays a role in how you attack the field or the track because your dad is a man of faith and you are a Christian and speak openly about your faith. My question was actually from a positive place. Um, So it's interesting to, to hear that that's been turned around at some point career wise, but to wake up every day and hit the ground running, essentially. You know, all of us say it, but very few of us actually do it. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like we all wake up, oh yeah, I'm just going to hit the ground running today. Um, But you know, this is your life every day.
1: You said it was from a negative aspect. And I personally took that as a compliment when the company said that to me, because it means that like, when you look through my social media and you look at my life, it is obvious and clear that I am a Christian. And that's something that I'm proud of. And so if they looked at my social media and this company chooses to want and wants to stay religiously neutral and they recognize I'm not religiously neutral, I'm like, good job on my part. Like you've done your part in the world because it's not something that I am ashamed of. And so great. If they don't want me because of that reason, that's fine. Because Jesus literally said, if they hate you, it's because they hated me first. That's perfectly fine with me. So that wasn't a negative aspect for me. But for me, my faith is what keeps me able to keep going. I wear a bracelet from the company. I am second. And it's just a Christian organization that establishes a whole bunch of stories and reminding people that no matter what they do in life, that they're always second and God is first. And it's so easy in track and field to start receiving a lot of praise and keeping it for yourself and knowing that like you, you win, like you get first place and like you, they're like, Oh my gosh, she's so good. She worked so hard. And I just think it's important to remind myself every day that like the gift that I have given to run to sprint is a gift from God because every good and perfect thing is from him. I have those days where like, I don't feel like running and I don't feel like going to the track and I don't feel like doing this rap or I feel like maybe I like don't want to go all out for this rap or I just, you just don't feel like it because it's hard. It's hard to wake up every day and put your body through a lot.
0: Yes. And hit the ground running. Yes. (laughs) That's what I said. We all say it, but we all actually don't do it. Has there been another Nigerian American female Olympic gold medalist in track and field? I tried searching. I didn't come up with one.
1: Well, I don't want to say there has not been because I'm sure that there has been, but they weren't running for Nigeria. I've actually researched this and gone back. I think I went back like 20 or 30 years, and I could not find a Nigerian running for Nigeria that won a gold medal in the Olympic Games or the World Championship Games. But I don't want to say that there hasn't been a Nigerian female who won running for Great Britain or running for Canada or running for the U.S. because I didn't go back that deep in my in my search.
0: I had a look and I didn't find
1: anyone. Really? And
0: I think you might be
1: it. I had no idea.
0: I whisper. I whisper because I did look. The combination Nigerian-American female Olympic gold medalist, I think it's you.
1: Wow. I don't know if I should be like honored by that or if I should be saddened by that. No, 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 no. That's not true. It's not true. It's not true. It's not just me. I know for a fact it's not just me because one of my training partners and teammates at the University of Texas, Courtney Okolo, is also an Olympic gold medalist in the 4x400 relay in Rio and she is Nigerian. Yes, but same year. Yeah. I'm saying before you. Oh, before me. Okay. I I think that's really sad. I think that's
0: a oh my god moment for me though. But like I'm like fanning out, but I'll, I'll I'll take I'll take the modestness. I'll take that. Everyone's so modest on the show.
1: No, the reason I'm saying that is because we're such like a talented country of people. Like we're so good, and the fact that there's no one before me, I'm like, what? Like there's no one else. There's so many of us and we're so talented and so gifted at so many things in this life that like hearing that, I'm like, what?
0: So what I took away from that was two things. One was, oh my God, I've got like a pioneer on the show, which is incredible. And the second thing I took away from that was just an understanding of how big the market is. And market being industry in in any sense of the word. So I think as Africans, sometimes we lose sight of our achievements because sometimes locally we're inundated with a level of praise that sometimes we forget how big an industry or the marketplace might be. And perhaps maybe to impact the change we all hope for, it requires us to understand where we fit into that. I, I don't know if I'm making... No, you actually are making a lot of sense right there. Looking, especially in track, because I feel like athletics is something as Africans that we do a lot. And like you said, that we're around a lot, that we know of a lot. But if you think of the relationship between, or even just the investment into sports, as Africans, right? Like it's so limited that it shouldn't be so surprising that we still haven't yet birthed and and in in an arena where we have a a genetic advantage. And so I, I read it going, oh my God, incredible. I can say this on the show, spoiler alert, right? In my mind, but I'm like, oh my God. And then the second part of me was sort of like, okay, but come on, if it is shocking then it's shocking because why, you know, and then I started asking myself the why, like, why is this giving me two emotions? And the second really, for me was very much around the fact that how much do we actually invest in it to understand it and 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 we're always looking for change. Every Olympics, I always look out for who's running for Nigeria, like who's here, you know, who's representing me, who looks like my likeness, you know, and then if there isn't one, then I'll go, okay, you know, what, I'll root for the Nigerian running for whatever country they're running for. And then if there isn't one, then I'll go, I'll just root for the black person, either UK or US, they're like me. That level of representation matters. It does. It absolutely does. And I just feel like I needed to say that in the show because I haven't seen it anywhere else. Segway into human body because your body is your work. Yes, it is. Your legs are worth a lot of money, you know? My legs
1: are literally my life. <laughs>
0: you know, like your legs, like a, a limb, It's this is beyond your brain now, right? Like... And you recently had an injury? Yes. I don't know
1: how how recent we can still call it, but I did have an injury.
0: Yeah, two years and a bit ago. That's recent. To recover from surgery and and, and run again, it's, I would say that's, I, I, unless, you know, I don't know what the real recovery rates are, but, you know, you tore or ruptured your Achilles, which is very important muscle for you.
1: The Achilles is actually the strongest tendon in the body because it literally... Takes in all of your body weight. Like everything that you do, every movement that you do involves the Achilles. Walk, run, skip, jump, climb stairs, step side to side, anything you do that involves you placing your foot on the ground. Even when you're crawling and you have your foot angled so that you can give yourself that support, it uses your Achilles. So it's very important. But you
0: had a big injury with
1: that. Yeah. In January, end of January of 2018, I had a freak accident at the end of a 60 meter dash race where I, well, you're supposed to, but you run into a padded wall at the end of the race to stop yourself and hitting the wall. I hit the wall at the perfect angle to where I ended up rupturing or tearing. what's the same thing. I, It was literally in two pieces. I actually have a picture from the, my surgeon took from surgery where you could see it in like the two different pieces. Um, it was completely apart. Like it was no longer connected and I had to have it surgically repaired to get it back together. After surgery, I was in a cast or boot for about six weeks before I was able to start any sort of real rehab therapy and start walking again. And then it was like nine months before I started like, really running and training again. It was over a year before I put on spikes again.
0: And so for one year, your work stopped.
1: Yeah, it did actually. It stopped and it didn't stop. It stopped in the sense that I was no longer competing. So I was just focusing on rehabbing. And Thankfully that year, Nike had told me like, hey, don't worry about it. Just focus on getting better. We're still going to give you your base salary and just focus on getting better and let us know if you need anything. And so the way that it works with these shoe contracts and companies is that you'll have a base that they'll say, like, hey, we're gonna pay you, just for example of using money, we're gonna pay you a hundred dollars for the year. And no matter what, you're gonna get this hundred dollars. And they also that comes with gear and clothes and everything and shoes. And in return, every time you are show up on a TV to compete or do anything athletic, you have to be wearing their clothes. And then they also pay you bonuses and prize money structures for how well you do at events throughout the entire year. And so I wasn't competing at any event throughout the year, obviously, but I was still I had my base. And so I was able to live that way and just focus on rehabbing. I also that year started coaching at my university, the university of Texas. I coached that year. And I'd always said that I didn't want to be a coach. And when I was offered the opportunity to coach for the year so that I could still be around track and field since I couldn't compete, I said, yes. And i did it. And I learned through that year that I was right, that I don't want to coach.
0: (laughs) I was going to say, teaching is definitely unique. And, you know, everyone assumes teaching is easy. I don't know if you've, if you've come across this, but in the pandemic, it's, I always say there's been also a pandemic of coaches, consultants, and advisors and teachers. I teach final year and master's students, startup strategies at a university, and I guess lecture at several universities when the world was open. It really is something different. And I actually didn't think I had what it took to teach until I was told I did. So it's interesting that you kind of Felt the same, but went into it and came out going, okay, clearly this is definitely not for
1: me. No, it's not for me at all. I don't think that I'm patient enough for, you know, let me say it this way I don't think that I could be a large scale coach of a team. I think that I would do really well working one on one with individuals and doing private sessions, but working with a large scale team was hard for me because motivation levels differ and some people were really working hard and some people were looking for the easy way out. And I also think that I may have been in too sensitive of a time for myself to be coaching because my first several weeks I was going out there with a scooter because I was on my crutches still and I couldn't move fast enough. And so I had, I bought, literally I bought a scooter that I could sit and ride on. Hold on.
0: So you go, you go from being one of the fastest people in the world to riding a scooter.
1: No, the scooter moved very fast. That's why I got it because I was (laughs) irritated with how slow it took me uh, like to get places. Like I couldn't move fast anymore and it irritated me.
0: I must say, I I wonder what it's like going for like a brisk walk with you. I always wonder, like if I ever went for a brisk walk with like a a super quick athlete, how fast would they be? Like, do you walk like normal people?
1: they say this thing about sprinters that like we only have two speeds, fast and slow. There's no like medium. And so generally when I'm walking, if I'm like just out for a walk, I actually move pretty slow. I don't like walking fast because it feels weird to me. Like, I'm like, if we're going to walk fast, why don't we just run?
0: So growing up, I loved Roadrunner. Do you know the cartoon Roadrunner? Yes, Maybe yes, yes. Obsessed. One of my favorites. I'm trying to get my daughter to love it. She's struggling on that front. But she like sees she's at that stage where all they do is run. They just don't walk. Everything is a run.
1: Because it's faster.
0: Yeah, but it's hard to keep up with. <laughs> It's really hard to keep up with. So speaking about running, what goes through your head? You know, when you're like on your marks in that moment, what's going through your head?
1: Honestly, it's either, it's a combination of nothing to thinking about what I'm about to do, like in the most literal sense. So when they say on your mark and we're getting into our blocks, I'm literally just like, get in your blocks, like make sure this feels good, load in your blocks. And then like, when the next thing I'm thinking is when you hear the gun go, like you want to make sure that you're waiting to react so that you don't false start or that so that you don't get left in the blocks and everyone leaves you. And my mind is usually very clear. No nerves. I get nervous too late. By the time I'm getting nervous, they're already saying on your mark. And now I'm thinking about what I'm about to do so that I, I can't be nervous. And then the other thing is, I try and keep it simple and I let go of everything that you think about during training. During training, you're always working on something or you're always focusing on something and your coach will tell you like, okay, for this run, make sure you're focusing on keeping your on the balls of your feet. Make sure you're focusing on this. And you're thinking of a lot of things during training and you do that so that it becomes natural to you. If you just keep doing it over and over again, you don't want to get into a meet and start thinking about all the things that you should be focusing on for training. So when I get into a meet, my mentality is just run.
0: Incredible. And then while you're running, because like in under 12 seconds, it's done. Like you've trained years and years just for less than 12 seconds.
1: I know it's wild. I think about it all the time. Yeah. Especially when we go to like, we travel and go to meets that are like in Asia, like we'll go to Doha and run and like the trip from Here to Doha is like fifteen hours and we get there and then we spend like three or four days there to run a race that's gonna be over in eleven seconds. Like it's wild.
0: Literally, let's pause and give give like listeners an understanding of twelve
1: seconds is. So we'll go go. That's twelve seconds. Yep, that's it. Be yeah, that's, that. it. yeah. <laughs> that's
0: 12 seconds. Done. Years and years, every day, hitting the road running. Do you run on
1: the road? Not really. No. It's really bad for you. It's bad for your knees, right? Yeah, it's bad for everything. It's bad for your knees, your feet, your shins, your back. It's bad for everything.
0: Interesting. Let's talk about diet. Do you, can you still eat jellof rice, plantain, pounded yam?
1: Is that allowed? Yes, it's allowed, but like with everything in life, everything in moderation. I actually went through a phase in high school where I took a strike against my mom and stopped eating plantain. What? How did you do that? I don't know. I had come across, I'd come to a stage where I realized that like you fry this in oil. Like we may as well be eating French fries with dinner every night. It wasn't every night, but like several nights a week. We may as well be eating French fries with dinner because you slice it up and then you fry it in oil. Like this is not healthy. It was like a strike stand where like I was like, I'm not eating plantain. And like I just stopped eating it probably for a couple of years because I just couldn't I couldn't wrap my brain around the fact that like we had normalized something in our diets that was like very unhealthy.
0: But you can bake it, you know, you can put it in like veggie bakes and things yeah, in the oven but, like, and it's really that yummy. Doesn't
1: taste good. It's like, not the same.
0: No, it's, it's not. Like, need...
1: <laughs> so yes, I, everything in moderation, I try and eat healthy. I want to say 90% of the time to 95% of the time to where I cook my own dinner at home and I know exactly what I'm eating, feeding myself and what I'm putting in my body. And I'm having, trying to have lean proteins and a lot of vegetables. And I don't really have fruit because fruit has a lot of sugar in it. And I really like sugar. And so if I can pick between, Oh, today you can have an apple, these bunch of strawberries and some grapes for your sugar, or you can have one chocolate chip cookie. I pick the chocolate chip cookie.
0: Interesting. So no pounded yam
1: before the races? No, no. (laughs) Some people would say a logical way of thinking, but I'm like, there is sugar in fruit and there is sugar in this cookie. I want the sugar from the cookie. So I won't eat the fruit. Then they will be like, I'm committed to
0: the cookie and I'm committed to my pounded yam story because (laughs) you know, when you're a kid, I'm like, oh, you need to
1: eat for energy. Yes, you, you do. You absolutely need to eat for energy. That is 100% correct. It's just like, where, what, what are you going to eat? So like, I like to say that I eat what I want. What's the best part for you or what's been the best part so far? It's been a combination of the travel and the people. I've gotten to go to places in the world that I don't think I would ever have thought to go to before. And I've gotten to go there for free. And while doing that, I've done what I love to do, which is running. I visited Lausanne, Switzerland and that is one of the most beautiful places that I've ever seen. And I'm not sure if I would have ever put that on my list of like places that I'm going to travel to in life and like visit. And I got to spend several days there and I got to run a track meet there, which is what I love to do. So I've gotten to go around the world doing what I love, which is a very unique experience for people. And then I've also met some incredible people along the way and been on a journey with them as well that I wouldn't have met otherwise.
0: Is it the same traveling for a meet or for work versus,
1: you know, being on holiday? Oh, no, not at all. (laughs) Actually, in the year that I was not competing in 2018 when I was injured, I actually did some traveling. I did some traveling within the state. I went to a whole bunch of different cities within the states. And then I also went to Mexico and then I spent some time in London and then I spent some time in Rome and Milan. And when I was in Rome, I think that I tracked on my watch one day that we walked like 10 miles in like one day. And I was sitting outside eating at this cafe with my three friends. And we were eating some, I think we ordered pizza and pasta appetizers. We were drinking wine. You can't do that when you're there for competition.
0: No, you have to be up. No, you have to be training. Can't be hungover.
1: You have to be a combination of training and rested. So like you can't walk 10 miles, like your legs are going to be dead. Like you have to make sure that you're still putting your body at an advantage to be able to perform well. So you can't do things like that. And then you have to be conscious of what you're eating. And like I was in Italy, I wanted to eat all of the pizza and pasta that I could. And like maybe one serving of pasta would have been fine while I was there if I was there for a, a meat. But I ate pasta every day, pasta and pizza every day for like five days straight. And I didn't feel bad. Like, I was like, this is great.
0: So speaking about the elephant in the room, COVID, 2020 was meant to be Tokyo. Yes, it was. Which obviously didn't happen. How was that for you? Now, obviously, you had your injury, meaning, you know, perhaps you're probably happy for the extra time. But how was that for you with the understanding around... Am I in my peak? And is this my peak? And what does this time mean and not having it?
1: You hit the nail on the head when you said, for me, I was grateful for the extra time. When I was with my surgeon back in 2018, he straight up said to me, looked me in the face and said, you may never be the same again. And then he also said to me, but the more time you put between you and your injury, the better you will be. And so I noticed that in my competitions and in my training, that like, oh, a year ago, I could not train like this. I could not do this. This was really hard for me. And so the further and further I get away from it, the better it is for me from a training perspective. a running perspective and from a in your prime in terms of age wise it didn't really affect me that much they say that the female athlete the sprinter will run her fastest race somewhere between the ages of 25 and 28 after that you may still run really fast but you may just may never run faster than you did when you were that young for example um allison felix her pr in the 200 meter dash she run and she ran in 2012 at the. US Olympic trials of like 21 gosh, what did she run? Like 2168, I think is correct. She has not run that fast since then. She was 26 years old when she did that in 2012. Since then, she's made every world championship team, and Olympic team that she's tried out for, and she's gotten the medal. But she has not run faster than she did when she was 26 years old. So that's your prime. Your prime is somewhere between 25 and 28 for me, the Olympics got moved from 26 to 27. So I'm like, okay, cool. I'm still in the I've front. still got time.
0: Yeah. Yes. As an athlete, what are you guys chasing? Your personal best? Are you chasing yourselves? Because you're chasing the, the time, right? Not
1: people. I think that the answer for every athlete is different. For me personally, I'm chasing the quest to be one of the greatest. People argue over who the best basketball player in the world ever was. And they, they throw names out, but you consistently get Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, Kareem, like those are the names that you get and the people will argue why this person's the greatest or that one's the greatest. What I'm chasing is that when I'm done running my track and field career and people are like, Well, who is the best sprinter of all time? That my name just be thrown in the argument. What comes after that? I move on. Okay. I don't know yet. Definitely um, not coaching. No, not coaching. <laughs> no, 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 no. Not coaching. <laughs> I I'm not entirely sure yet. It's not a answer that I have 100% figured out. And if I could tell you something, and then like next week, it would be totally different. So like, I'm not going to say anything. But in 2018, when I wasn't competing, I also realized that like, I can live without track and field. I think that a lot of athletes get hung up in their sport because like we don't know life without it. Like it's all we've been doing since we were young, like since we were less than teenagers, it's all we've been doing. And so then to think that like one day you're going to have to walk away from it and do something else, it's scary. It's like, well, what do I do next? And like, you don't know what to do. So in that year when I was not competing, I realized that like there is a lot of life that I will enjoy and want to enjoy outside of track and field. And I want to do more things. But then I also established that like it wasn't time yet, that I still had more I wanted to accomplish on the track. But when the time came for me to walk away, I would be able to do so perfectly fine because I've already had a taste of what life is like without track and field. And I liked it.
0: Where can our listeners find you?
1: Where where can they find me running?
0: Yes, running
1: on social media. Oh, okay. Great. I'm like I'm running. I'm like, look, only God knows at this point because COVID is still very real. And like, we have some meets on the schedule. And at the end of the every single meet info sheet we get, it's like all is tentative due to the COVID-19 pandemic and could be canceled. So great. Okay. I am on Instagram at Miss Fast Twitch. That's M-S fast and then Twitch. I'm on Twitter on Miss Fast Twitch as well, but really I'm on Instagram. Those are the two primary social medias that I hang out on.
0: Amazing. And I enjoy following and I look forward to screaming at the top of my lungs in my living room.
1: I know her at your next race. (laughs) Take a picture of your TV screen and tag me on it so I can see it.
0: I will. I will. Thank you so much for being so candid and for sharing so openly today. Wishing you more dust on, on the soles of your feet, if that's a saying. I'm coining it.
1: Yes, let's make it a saying.
0: Yes, more dust on the soles of your feet, because <laughs> um, it's like wind in your sails. What do you say to it? What do you say to a sprinter? How? How?
1: What makes them go faster? I don't know. You the wind at your back, maybe.
0: Yeah, but,
1: but you don't want too much wind at your back because then it becomes a, a wind assisted race and it doesn't count. So,
0: yeah, maybe dust on your feet. Yeah, you know,
1: dust, the dust right on angle feet. of
0: the spikes. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for joining us on this episode of Third Culture Africans. We are building a community of leaders and game changers and would love you to join in the conversation on thirdcultureafricans.com. Subscribe for news, for tips and more useful resources on today's topic and more episodes to ignite and inspire your entrepreneurial journey. Carry on the conversation on Facebook and Instagram at Third Culture Africans. Your ratings and reviews are important to us, so please leave one on your favorite streaming platform and help us amplify our voices. Until next time, you are valid. You are strong and you are just getting started.